Hey everybody, welcome to another Drive Through FM. Uh, today, as promised, I'm going to go over some questions that I was asked from last month episode. So we're going to do a few reviews and then we're going to jump into a Q&A thing. I've got about 10 questions to answer. But before we get started with the reviews and the questions, uh, I've got just a couple of clarifications, uh, kind of questions in themselves. I just did my top 50 uh, games of all time video series last week and I got a couple of questions about some things kind of repeated a few times so I figured let me just run through these super quick and then answer them here I replied to them on BGG threads and YouTube comments and things like that but uh, the most often question I got asked and some of these games that I got asked about I got asked a couple of times so I figured I'd run through it is the expansions and whether or not I saw some of the expansions were worth getting for some of the games on my top 50 uh, list. Some of them I did talk about in the video and things, but for some I uh, just uh, you know forgot to mention them because uh, for one reason or another. So let's run through that real quick here. Uh, Stone Age, which was in my number 50. Uh, I don't uh, care for the expansions. I just like the base game for that. Uh, Lords of Vegas as well. I think I did mention this in the video, but I just wanted to reiterate that I don't like the expansions for Lords of Vegas. So Stone Age and Lords of Vegas, I honestly prefer to play it without any of the expansions. Uh, for Star Wars Rebellion, uh, I like the expansion. I think you should get the expansion and play with the expansion, but I don't think the expansion is super mandatory or anything like that. Uh, the one thing you can kind of take from the expansion is there's a slight tweak to how combat works when you have ship versus ship and ground troop versus ground troop. Uh, that's pretty cool. That's a better way of doing combat, but I don't really think it's like that much better. Um, so I would say like if you're thinking about getting Star Wars Rebellion, you don't have to go get the expansion right away. It adds some other stuff from uh, like Rogue One from that movie where the Death Star is not yet built and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and there's the game, the end game changes a little bit as well, but I totally forgot to mention any of that. Uh, in the Star Wars Rebellion portion of those videos. But I do recommend the expansion, though. Especially, I would get the, the base game first, obviously. Play that, see if you like it, and then get the expansion after. And then kind of following up on that, there's the Risk Star Wars Edition, which I mentioned. And I did not mention, I should have mentioned this, I meant to mention this, but there is a BGG thread on the Star Wars uh, Risk Star Wars Edition and there are some uh, pretty significant rules clarifications to that game. And actually, without those rules clarifications, this game is nowhere near my top 50, top 100, anything. I probably wouldn't even like the game. Uh, but the rules clarifications coming from, uh, I believe, the designer. If you go to the BG page and sort the form threads by like the most thumbed, it's right at the top there. And, uh, and look at those, and it, it changes the balance of the game pretty significantly and it makes a lot more sense frankly uh the way some of the things play so you, you in my opinion you got to play with those rules clarifications in the game is amazing it's excellent and then the final thing to talk about here is uh, great western trail i don't actually own the expansion to great western trail but i have played the expansion to great western trail uh, i do enjoy it but this is another one of those where i'm not sure that it's necessary i want to play it some more i'd probably like to pick it up myself actually and so I can get a chance to play it some more. Um, but I'm not sure it's really required. Like after playing it, I was like, hmm, yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, it's okay. It, it does some new things that are cool and different, but I don't know that the game makes the game any better or worse, frankly. So I think I talked about that on a podcast or two ago. Uh, but as far as Great Western Trail, I, right now I think it doesn't matter. But again, I want to play it some more and figure it out. 
Okay, so we have, let's see, seven games I'm going to review. So I'll try to be quick about it. Uh, none of these specifically are going to be too negative. Well, there's a couple of negative things, but uh, a lot of these are just uh, positive, and I just had a chance to play games that I don't own. So this is a good chance for me to review some games I normally wouldn't get a chance to review. So the first two that we're going to jump in right into here are actually two sort of lesser-known, I believe, trick-taking games. Uh, the first one is... Paul Duvin, I think that's it's French. I'm gonna spell it. It's pot, P-O-T, new word, D-U, third word, V-I-N. So port of wine or, or port. And actually it's a really fun trick-taking game. It has this interesting mechanic. The crux of it is, is there'll be like a trump suit that is uh, flipped up every turn and so everybody knows what that is. And then players are trying to collect sets of these kind of like different characters. But if you don't collect like the exact right amount of those characters, then you're going to actually possibly score negative points versus positive points and things like that. So as you're going along and you know, you're playing your hands, putting your cards out, you're going to be collecting cards you don't want a lot of the time. And now we actually have played this with uh, various numbers of players and it's definitely better at like the three player uh, count. Uh, so I think it's, it boasts up with five or six players, I think, but you don't really want to play it at that higher player count. And like, it's okay. I didn't hate it at that higher player count, but it's definitely going to be a little bit more under your control. You can be a little bit more smarter about uh, the cards that you played on the different hands. It's got some really nice art. I believe the guy that did the art to Bloody Inn is the, is the same artist uh, for this game. So it's got this nice very stylized caricature kind of thing uh, going on with the different characters. Uh, the weird thing about it is there are suits are basically the different people. So we actually kind of like made up names for all the people uh, because, you know, it's like guy in blue suit, lady in red dress. So we just came up with some names and then we just said, you know, the different name of Billy Francesca or whatever. And then, you know, we played the suits that way. So it's actually a really interesting uh, trick-taking game. Uh, I think works better at the lower player count, uh, but it was fun and different and interesting. It's been a while since I played a trick-taking game, except for the next game I'm going to talk about, which I believe is a Korean game. My friends brought it over from visiting Tokyo. Uh, well, they went to Tokyo a while ago, but they picked it up there and uh, and brought it back, and, and I finally had a chance to play it myself. And this is called Blend Coffee Lab, and it's another trick-taking game. A very interesting game where you are it's it's weird it's it's like you're there's like a hot and a cold market so every every round there is a card you flip off a card and you want to know if you want to go low if you want to go high with the cards that you played and all the cards are numbered in different colors but they also like form different parts of a coffee cup like a little teacup and you're trying to collect sets of them so you can form the four corners of this drawing that's a little cup and then collect those and then over the course of uh, each each round you're going to score the different colors and so what's going to happen is you're going to score the different colors and whatever your, your best score is in each of those colors over the course of three rounds is going to be your score so what you end up trying to do is go for let's say i'm going for blue or, or red or whatever and then you try to get a really high score with one of those colors and then that's going to be your best score because if you get another score and in another round that's not as high that's not really going to score you anything you always just take your highest score so you're trying to win different types of tricks over the course of the game and that's going to be kind of different for everybody and where they kind of land 
so that's what makes it kind of interesting is you have this sort of high-low market thing that's randomized each round, but then you're sort of like coupling that with, okay, this round I'm trying to do this thing versus next round I'm trying to do this other thing. And that just makes all the decision-making really cool. And then it's kind of interesting to see, uh, I don't want to get too much in the mechanics because it's for memory, but uh, you know how you kind of combine those little pieces of the drawing together. And that's just another little interesting uh, little wrinkle there. And I do know that I have seen Blend Coffee Lab for sale at places like, I think, Games Surplus and Meeple Source and stuff. So it is kind of floating around out there, even though I don't think it's been brought over proper uh, to the United States anyway. Uh, so that's Blend Coffee Lab and Pot de Vin, uh, two kind of interesting trick-taking games that I've had a chance to play over the last uh, several weeks. And I don't get a chance to really do that kind of game too much because I, I said in my Top 50 series, uh, we don't really play games at work anymore at lunch. Uh, so that was kind of a nice uh, refresher, you know, on these kind of small little compact games that, that, that work well and have a kind of a lot going on to them. So switching gears completely now to the opposite end of the weight and complexity spectrum, I did have a chance a few weeks ago to play uh, my first 18xx uh, game. And I've played a lot of games that are sort of in that vein. Uh, they'll have like the uh, technology obsolescence or some other kind of stock mechanism. So I've played a lot of games kind of that are sort of 18xx light games or little riffs on that sort of core variant. But this is my first real proper. 18xx quote-unquote game and this was uh, 1849 uh, and when the reason we played that is because we had three players and I had a free uh, Tuesday uh, that I was able to get out to a friend's house and they were looking for somebody I have a couple of folks in my group that have really enjoyed 18xx games over the last couple of years started to get into them a little bit more and it's just never worked out and I'm not frankly like that interested in 18xx games where I'm like gonna you know block out uh, egregiously a certain amount of time but this worked out and I've always wanted to try them because you know why not and uh, so this is able to work out we played a three-player game of 1849 which apparently uh, works pretty well at a three-player game and I think it did you don't really need five or six like you might for some other 18x games and so I enjoyed it I would say I enjoyed it about mm, let's call it about 80 to 85 percent uh, I liked a lot of the things of course I like the stock stuff I like a lot of games where you you're buying and selling stock and you've got a different uh, investment in different companies and people might try to you know buy and sort of leech off each other and the different stocks as they try to make money you try to like you know get other people to make money for you without you doing any work or as as, as, as least amount of work as possible and so that's always an interesting thing in a game and I would say this game was probably I guess from what I've heard is a little bit slightly more complex uh, it wouldn't necessarily be a good uh, intro to 18xx games, but I didn't think it was too bad. As somebody that's played a lot of heavier Euro games and all kinds of games, you know, uh, I didn't think it was too bad to get into. Uh, one thing I really enjoyed about 1849 was, and a lot of these games have this, where you get these kind of special powers auctioned off. They're called private companies. And you get those at the beginning of the game, you kind of auction them off. You got to kind of, you know, know the game a little bit, I think, to do that really well. But they'll all have little special powers that you can sort of add into and buy into the main rail companies that you're going to acquire stock in over the course of the game. And I really like that. It was It's a small map of Sicily in 1849. Uh, so there were certain uh, private company powers that would interact with certain parts of the map or certain types of terrain that was featured heavily in Sicily on the game. 
And so that was an interesting kind of approach to kind of, you know, get that special power and that'll kind of help you sort of dictate how you want to approach the game and give you a little bit of a bonus in a certain spot. And so that was that was a neat uh, aspect as well. Most of the rest of the stuff seemed pretty standard 18xx. Um, you know, there's a couple of like, let's call them really key uh, locations, which kind of reminded me of Chicago Express, which is a very light train game. Uh, but it's a it can be a little bit of a brain burn. But complexity-wise, Chicago Express is not very complex at all. And uh, so there was a couple of key locations that were would pay out a lot if you could get over to them. And so those kind of act as an anchor on different sides of the map. And there's like a little uh, volcano area where this volcano goes off. So you can kind of jump in there early, get some profit. And then once it explodes, uh, based on how far along players are buying the different trains up and things, uh, the game kind of moves through phases as the technology gets bought up. Then that will explode and kind of you know kill off a, a, a certain railroad that's connected there. So that was kind of an interesting wrinkle. But the one thing that kind of bugged me about it, uh, actually bugged me about it a lot, because we talked about it after we finished the game, is so uh, you have like kind of a pre-phase, like a buy and sell phase, and then you have your different action phase where you're, you're building a track and all that kind of stuff and running your company. And uh, at that point, you can sell your stock. Well, let's say, uh, you know, I've got six shares of stock in a company and then my opponent across from me has five. Well, if they decide to sell off all five shares, that's going to crater the stock value. So uh, you've got like this little grid. So when you certain things happen, your, your stock token will move right. So the value of the company will go up. It'll go up right on this track. And certain things will, instead of moving right, it'll jump up. So it'll jump in value, you know, by 10 or whatever. So it can scale up pretty quickly. But when somebody sells, uh, sells, it doesn't just move left and go back down. It goes down. It drops like row, row, row. And so, you know, your stock value could be at like whatever, 80 and then be at 25 by the time they're selling because they'll sell each stock and for each stock it drops down. And I didn't like that because what that ended up doing was, you know, we were all aware of that, is it kind of put a stranglehold on what you can do in the game. And so everybody was very cautious not to, you know, get so invested in different things because somebody could just buy up your stock cheap and then just dump it on you and just to kind of crater you. And you're like, you're like yeah, but this... this uh, you know, this company, this this train company is making a ton of money. Why would just somebody just not just sit back and like, you know, love it? Obviously, it's a board game, not real life. <laughs> so, you know, it makes sense because they don't want you to get first place. It's fine. So that's kind of okay. And I don't mind that because that's that's whatever. And people kind of do that in real life. And, and people short companies even today on the stock market to try to make money off of that company losing money. And, uh, the thing I did not like about it, though, is you could not react in real time. So if somebody had collected enough shares of stock, they could dump all of it at once. And to me, that was that was that's kind of a deal breaker because as soon as Billy starts to sell his shares of stock, I should oh did you sell a share of stock? Well, I'm going to sell one too then. And so then I can sell it at a loss, but not a, such a significant loss that you know it's it doesn't make sense to me that somebody could go to their broker or whatever the you know equivalent is in this world and just dump everything without me getting a chance to respond and say oh crap they're selling everything off why can't i you know match them as we sell downward so then it you know maybe he sells when i sell one and then yeah maybe nobody would ever do that nobody would ever sell anything and tank the company or whatever but then i'm also like what's the point of playing a game where you make money when people are just like brinksmanly you know 
crushing things. It doesn't like I'm. It's cool. I mean, if people understand like why people might like that, but I don't at all. I didn't like that at all. And so I was like, or I was like, is every 18xx game like this? Because I never want to play one again if it is. And he said, no. Uh, you know, there's they have varying uh, degrees of intensity and and uh, and brutality in the different kind of uh, cell markets and things. So I was like, okay, I, I would play another one of these, but probably not this one again, just because of that whole thing. And I didn't. It's just to me, it's like I, I don't. It's just counterintuitive to why I would want to sit there and push fake cardboard and plastic around. It's like that's hard to explain. But you know, again, I'm not saying like it's bad. Because obviously a lot of people like this style of thing. It's just not super for me. Uh, so that was 1849. I did enjoy it. I'd be happy to play some other 18xx games and things like that. Or you know, what one thing that was interesting to me to kind of tangent a little bit on this 18xx thing. I would love to play one that was like the same style, the same 18xx core, but it had nothing to do with like building track or anything like that. It was like growing your cell phone network or something. You know, it's a little bit more updated and modern and you could kind of add some extra uh, funky marketing stuff in there and other little special powers and stuff that were a little bit more like that. A little bit more, you know, post-1970s corporate uh, world and stuff. That'd be kind of interesting to do that. So that was, uh, that's 1849. Uh, the next game I had a chance to play is uh, Shards of Infinity. Uh, this is from the designers of Ascension, a deck building game that came out about eight or nine years ago. And we've seen another game come out since Ascension called Star Realms, I think Hero Realms, uh, kind of built up on top of that deck building idea where you have like a row of cards that you sort of buy from and draft from as you play, build into your deck, and then score more points and things. And this is uh, Shards of Infinity is by the Ascension designers, but it's a little bit more like Star Realms where you're actually hitting each other and, and reducing each other's hit points. And to me, it's kind of like a Star Realms 2.0 because in addition to like the buy resource and the fight resource, you have the experience resource, which you can sort of like uh, uh, build up to cash in. And then what, what will happen is as you cash in this experience, uh, over the course of several turns, not just spending it all on the same turn like you do with the money and the fighting, but you then uh, can uh, cash it in and then level up. And basically, as you play cards, they're get, just going to get better because you're going to have more experience. And once you get to certain experience thresholds, then uh, and then the cards become cooler. So you might buy a card in the middle of the row saying like, well, this is an okay thing now. This is a really great thing maybe five or six or ten turns from now. And then you can start to really hammer a home with that. And it's got its own kind of fantasy universe, which feels like, I don't know, very much like a video game fantasy thing, if that makes any sense. We just have like weird demigods with lots of weird special powers. The, the theme wasn't super interesting to me, but I did like the game. I got a chance to play this a few times, and uh, I don't know that I'll pick this up, but because uh, I've uh, I played hundreds of games of Ascension and hundreds of games of Star Realms in my life, like several hundred. And, uh, and not even just necessarily, well, Star Realm mostly on the app, uh, but I played uh, at least probably 100 games of Ascension in real life. And in the app, I don't know, well, you know, like a thousand. I know it's a lot. Uh, but I did like it. So if you, if you are like looking for uh, an Ascension replacement or it's been a while since you played that and you do like that style of deck builder, which I find it very fun because it's like, you know, they're like, they're like Dominion, but in Dominion, they have like the set of piles of cards, whereas in Ascension and these games, you have uh, kind of a constantly rotating row of cards and you got to be very tactical as well as very strategic 
in terms of like, okay, what kind of deck am I going to build? I'm going to focus more in this faction or that faction or these types of powers and that kind of thing, but also be very cognizant of the cards that your opponents want and try to buy those up maybe as kind of like a hate buy, a hate draft. You're like, well, I'm going to keep that away from them. So it's a good balance of that with that kind of stuff. And I like the added kind of experience mechanic here, giving you that third resource to go after. And not just gold, not just fighting, which is effectively points because you're kind of knocking them down. Uh, uh, we also want the resources. And it's got the things that are like sit out in front of you as well, try to absorb damage a little bit. Uh, so it's, it's a good game. I definitely recommend folks take a look at it. Uh, Shards of Infinity. But again, I've played this style of game hundreds and hundreds of times, and I can see it's good, but it's just not something I'm going to run out and pick up because probably won't play it too much, you know, too many times more. So that's kind of the uh, the four games that I, I, I kind of liked. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Pot Divan and Blend Coffee Lab, the trick-taking game, 1849, the 18xx game, even though with the caveat of that funky stock market thing, which I hated, but I like the rest of it, and then Shards of Affinity. Uh, now the next three games I'll try to be a little quicker about and get to the Q&A. Uh, these games I come down on not really caring for um, to different degrees, I'll say. Um, the first one is uh, Silver Amulet. And I talked about a game I think last month or the month before called Cabo. Uh, these are from Bezier Games. And uh, Silver Amulet is exactly like the game Cabo so if you remember from the last podcast where I talked about that you're trying to get the lowest numbers in your hand so everybody has four cards or sorry is it five cards in silver amulet face down and then you're able to look at two of them and their numbers on the card and there's a special ability on the card and then the course of the game you're just drawing a card off the top of the deck or out of the discard pile and either playing it for its special ability or trying to swap it with cards that are face down in front of you. Now, again, you only look at two of your five cards, so you don't know what everything else has. So the special abilities are things are like looking at cards in front of you that are face down, or your, your opponent, or swapping cards around, and other little tricksy things like that. And the cards range from like zero to 13, I think. And so you don't want those 13s in your hand, but the 13s have a special ability, which makes them a little bit attractive, that kind of thing. So you're just playing over the course of the game, and then you're calling, uh, you know, uh, rummy or something i forget what the word is you call a word you say i'm done and then everybody else gets a turn and then you flip over all the cards whoever has the lowest uh, uh lowest total uh then uh, if you call that you'll score zero points but otherwise you just add up the total of all your cards and then you're trying to have the lowest score over four rounds and a really not i don't know what it is this system does not jive with me uh, it just feels very much like I'm flipping a card and doing a thing. There's some, you know, maneuvering and nuance to stuff, but it, there's also a lot of, like, I flip this and this is, okay, this card's bullcrap, I don't like this card, and then, you know, or whatever, just trying to, you know, you got dealt a better hand, and, uh, you know, you play with more than a couple of players, and it just seems to kind of go on for a little while. Um, you know, I actually won uh the game of it that we played and it was just like not really doing much work on my side and it to me it was i already kind of had a sour taste in my mouth from cabo um so i was you know i kind of could see where it was it could be more interesting because i kind of didn't hate cabo but then this kind of was more disappointing to me because i thought okay maybe if we add all these special extra powers and stuff it'll be more interesting um, and it's got a little bit more interesting of a, a play time and you know, just the way that the values of the cards counteract with the different abilities. I was like, yeah, this just might actually be good. And it just, it wasn't. It didn't work at all for me. 
uh, unfortunately. So Silver Amulet, uh, there's they have that one coming out, and Silver Bullet, and another game in the line. And so I know there's going to have special, more different sets of silver, or you know these silver sets that you can like combine and mash together, or play with different kinds of combo powers and stuff. Um, so yeah, I just didn't like it. So there's Silver Amulet there. Uh, the next one is uh, is a Wingspan from a Stonemaier game. And uh, and this obviously has been a pretty huge hit so far this year. I had a chance to play this a couple times now. And it was kind of one of those weird, because the like, first time I played it, I was like, this is really kind of neat. I like this. There's a lot of stuff going on. And then I played it a couple more times. And each time I played it, I, was like, I liked it less and less. So that was kind of a bummer. Because I was like, oh, good. You know, all the people are getting excited about this game. And it's like, oh, good. I'm, I'm on the same page as them. And uh, by the end of the three plays, I was not. Um, it's it's hard for me to be like too much like I think this is a bad game because it's not whatever I mean it's not bad it's it's just I don't I didn't really care for it it's a little bit too much too much in the form of of, of like luck of the card draw but it's not like it I want to come down and say like well they didn't play test it and the cards aren't balanced and all this because that's the opposite of the truth it feels like it was balanced and honed and designed and you know all that good stuff like it feels well put together and the production and everything obviously is really good too but i'm talking the gameplay it's it seems like it's very intentional and the way it should be um but whew, yeah i would just say this is a little cop out here but i'm saying go watch a video review on it to see how it works but it's it just feels a little bit see it's so close to me liking it too because here's the stuff, let me talk about the stuff I do like for a minute. I do like how the theme and the mechanics work together. I like how you have the different kinds of birds, because you're getting these different birds and arranging them in these different environments. Uh, you've got like water, forest, and like plains or something, or mountains, I forget. And then, so you, you can only play certain birds in different spots, and then you can sort of build them out in rows and columns, and they have to start to lay eggs, which will give you points. But then you also need those eggs to sort of expand your different territories. Uh, and the birds, of course, have different special abilities and stuff like that. And you're taking actions on your turn. So as you take actions, uh, you can draw cards with actions, you can play cards with actions, and so on, as long as you can pay for the right thing. And sometimes you need uh, different food resources, so then you can go and like harvest food, sort of. Or take different actions uh, like on these different rows. And so as you add birds to the different rows, when you do that action, you can get bonuses based on the birds that are there. So that kind of cohesiveness uh, works really well. And there's like birds can hunt littler birds and stuff like that. And just all the different abilities of the birds and stuff is really interesting thematically. Uh, but just because, and I don't know what I could do. I don't like the Monday morning quarterback because I think the game is like it's developed and got to the point where it is and shouldn't be changed. But I feel like I don't really like the taking an action to draw a card. And that's not something I like. don't like in games. Because sometimes in games you, you just draw a card every round or you do things to draw cards. This is like you quote unquote waste an action to draw a card. Or multiple cards. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like there's just discrete economies, which is strange. It's like, okay, I'm playing cards to my card draw economy with the birds here that are gonna help me with my card draw. So then I've got lots of cards, but then I have to go and pay attention to the uh, food making economy and get cards there. So when I take the food action, then I'm gonna get more food than I normally would at the beginning of the game. And then, you know, you have all this stuff in the egg generating thing. 
and it's just like this economy, this economy, this economy, where as everything feels integrated mechanically, each of those different rows that you activate that you get bonuses from birds from doesn't feel that integrated. I never felt like that tight of of uh, uh, you know of an engine that that can kind of cascade through. Now sometimes you could get stuff like that, but it's just like well I just drew these cards that oh, I put this here and this will help me with this other thing like this car and one in the card draw row will help me with the egg stuff and the the egg one will help me with the food stuff. So, but I didn't feel like I was actually building anything towards anything. And maybe that's a thematic breakdown because I don't really know what role the player has. Like you, you, like who are you? You know, you're just arranging birds. But like, what's your what? Do, what are your what's your purpose? You're just arranging birds. Are you a god or something? You know, <laughs> are you Mother Nature? Like made, you know, made, uh, you know, as some as some agent here manipulating your environments. So that maybe that's what it was. Because I'm like, who? What am I doing? Am I? Because going into it, I first was like a long time ago. I thought like, oh, cool, wingspan. So it's like about bird watching or something, and you're like collecting you know, your stats on the bird. So I don't know, that probably sounds boring, but I thought like in the, as a player, as a person in the game, what am, what's my role? And it doesn't really jive with that. And the engines don't cross pollinate each other either. So that's tricky, right? It's just one of the things I've seen a lot of people like and really enjoy. And it's been a pretty popular game and stuff. And I think, got, yeah, got nominated for Spiel des Jahres or the Kenner des or whatever. And uh, so it's obviously good design and like look at it i'm like this is well put together like i can see some some good stuff here but it just when i'm done playing it for the third time i was like hmm i don't know i just i can think of a think of a thousand games i'd rather play so that is wingspan and we'll talk about one one more game which which is probably a bad game except maybe two players isn't bad uh, this is uh, Jonathan Strange from Osprey Games. It's based on uh, I didn't know this was a book. Apparently, it's a book and a Netflix show, and it's a and now they've got a board game based on it. And so the theme of the game is that you're sort of traveling around Europe and in the Napoleonic Age. Uh, magic is like a resurgent. So magic used to be real. Now it's kind of coming back. And you're going around and like going to special events and parties and meeting famous people and authors and people of the time period, and then also trying to like. Uh, pull out these magical feats and exploits and stuff and get spells and cast them and so there is a sort of a dark being I can't remember what the name is like the the greasy haired dude or something it was, wasn't that but it was something like that and so he's like slowly building up his magic power over the course of, of each round and then uh, the, the game end trigger is you play so many rounds or once one player has enough magical points that they can defeat them that will trigger the end of the game you'll finish the round out and then whoever has the most magic wins and so you basically have two currencies. You've got the magic, uh, which you need to basically you know win the game. Those are your points. And then you've also got prestige, which is interesting because that's more of like you're visiting and glad-handing people and going to social events. And you can use that to sort of unlock special powers and stuff like that and then maintain turn order and things. And the whole engine of the game is through cards. So you play cards and you can play them to visit locations and go to events and those will collect different things and you can go get different feats and you know point scoring cards and other cards that can help you go to further events and get more prestige. But then you can keep those cards and just play them for their magical element. And you play the you discard the card and get elements and play those on your feats and the feats are where you can get you magic and get you more spells and stuff. So it kind of really stinks with four players. I played with two players and I played with four. And the funny thing was, I played with two players like, oh, this is cool. I kind of like this. 
because very snappy back and forth. You've got the multi-use card thing. Okay, do I go here, go to this event, or I want to save this for this element, which I can play in this turn, or you know, back and forth. And okay, what's Billy doing? Okay, they're going to do that. But then when you play with four players, you really kind of see that it doesn't even matter. The other players don't even matter. There's not really any blocking. You might like take some magic book or something that somebody wanted, but that's it. Like there's no interaction at all. And in a four player game, it don't matter anyway because stuff's going to change. You take your turn and then you come back five minutes later and you'd be like, what's the board look like? And then you can play. And there's no, like, I don't even care. Like, oh, you're ahead of me on magic? Well, great, I can't do anything about that. Um, or I'm way ahead of you, then that's too bad. You know, try to do good on your turn. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so the lack, really, a giant lack of interaction in the game. Uh, it's, severe, it's, just, it's super boring when it's not your turn. It just doesn't matter what other players are doing. Whereas a two-player game, like, it's all right. You can kind of, like, keep track of what they're doing. And so you can see, like, oh, okay, well, they, they're they going for prestige, so I don't have to focus on magic too much. I can do, you know, you, you can kind of, like, know and watch what they're doing. And then it, just by that nature itself, like, you can do some stuff based on what they're doing directly. So it's a little bit more interactive that way. But still, there's, like, nothing you can really do to affect. And you're just you're just trying to collect magic as fast as you can. Like, that's it. Um, and so you have this kind of weird action thing where you, you can take an action, but then you can't take it until you reset all your actions and then you play your cards. I don't know. It's just, it's not, I don't think it's a good game. It's not, it's not fun. It's not good. And uh, I think fans of the show maybe would enjoy it because, I don't know, there's some callbacks. I played it with some people that had, had uh, uh, read the books, actually, and watched the show. And so they were kind of getting a kick out of you know some of the stuff they were seeing uh so if you know for that reason maybe take a look at it if you're into the intellectual property but man i did not like this whatsoever it looks really cool the thing that's kind of a bummer is the production stuff looks really neat uh if you guys are familiar with uh, ian atul he's done the board game art for uh numerous games a lot of vital asserta games he did the one for uh, Nemo's War, which is a victory point game, a uh, solo game, a really good game. And uh, so he's done a lot of artwork for a lot of different things. And this is a very different style of art than he normally has done. And I really liked it. And uh, the rules were easy to pick up and read. And like when you're doing your turns, you're like, oh, cool, I did this. I discard the card. I'm going to save this card for later, blah, 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 back and forth. But then, like I said, I played it twice now and I was just severely bored by it. All right, enough of that. That's Jonathan Strange. And so let's take a quick break. And we'll jump back into uh, Q&A. I got about 10 questions here. Uh, some of these were asked by multiple people, so that was good. And uh, so we'll jump back into that after a quick break. Okay, we're back. So let's just jump into our q and I had some questions from uh, last uh, month, and so I kind of collected those from BGG and some comments and things on YouTube and Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, so let's jump into the first question. Uh, the first one is basically my thoughts on app-assisted games. So uh, this question was asked before I did the review of Journeys into Middle-Earth, which has an app that goes alongside the game. And of course there's other games like uh, the XCOM board game, 
uh, Mansions of Madness Second Edition. There's been several games like that. They've redid Descent and Imperial Assault uh, with the apps. And, uh, you know, you've got like One Night Ultimate Werewolf and Werewords and uh, Unlock has an app. Even the Exit Games you can use an app a little bit with. Uh, so my thoughts on it are most of them are pretty interesting. Uh, some I've liked more than others, like Descent and Imperial Assault. I didn't really, I didn't really like the apps for those. But on the other hand, I liked it for Mansions of Madness and I liked it pretty much for uh, Journeys uh, into Middle Earth. So, and I really like it for stuff like uh, Werewords and, and, and Unlock and stuff like that. If you saw my top 50, both of those games were uh, higher up on my top 50. I mean, I guess lower. They were in like in the 40s. Uh, so I really like those. Uh, Chronicles of Crime is another one that really makes a good use of the app. And Detective is another one. I didn't really like that game, but uh, you know the way that they use the app and stuff was cool. Um, yeah, I think it's neat. Like I think there's there's people are figuring out like what's you know what's what's good. You know, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to have everything in the app? Like why have the board there and all that stuff? Why have all the other people and just play a video game? Versus, you know, is it really doing anything? Because this could this easily just have been a deck of cards as opposed to a screen that you tap on? You know, that kind of stuff. So trying to figure out the right balance of stuff is just, you know, it's interesting. So I think it definitely should be continued to be explored and, and tried out and new things tried. And, uh, you know, like Detective really, again, I didn't really like that game. But the idea of having like an online database of suspects and history and you know it allows you tells you to go to wikipedia and look at this article on this historical thing so you can, might give you a little clue as to you know some uh, extenuous circumstances around a case and stuff like that that's just a really cool idea uh because what it does what the app is doing because a lot of people like want to draw lines between gaming they're like this is a video game this is a board game this is a miniatures game this is a role-playing game and this one is better than the other you know you get into some silliness like that and it does that doesn't doesn't matter like if we're sitting around and we're playing a video game like on the couch uh, what's the game is i just got it it was free on my playstation um overcooked and uh and that's that's a good that's a really cool video game but it's really boring <laughs> single player i i know this was really popular a couple years ago i was like oh i heard of this game so I downloaded it and I played it. I'm like, this this sucks. Like, why is this popular? But then right away I could see. I was like, well, I know that this game probably is a lot better with other people sitting around the couch. And lo and behold, it was. It's a lot of fun, you know, uh, for me and my son or, or you know to play. And so I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, well, I don't know. We're we're sitting next to each other. I know it's like. It's in the 80s, you used to do that, right? In the 90s, I guess, too, where you'd play Street Fighter or you'd go to the arcade and you'd play next to each other. You know, you'd be like rubbing up against the person playing Street Fighter with you, you know? You're almost, you're fighting physically on the screen and you're almost, you know, you're right next to each other, right? Almost close enough to hit each other in, in person, uh, you know, and stuff like that. And we used to sit around um, and play different games together, you know, watch each other take turns on Castlevania or something. I know, oh, let me try, let me go. And then Overcooked is, you know, we're just playing together and it's a much better game. So it's like, well, we're playing face-to-face. -face. You know, we're using the screen to help us, but it's face-to-face -face game. So it's almost like playing a board game. Would the important part, is the important part the board or is the face-to-face -face part? Or really is the face-to-face -face part even that important? Because, you know, I remember playing like Ultima Online and World of Warcraft, for God's sakes, and stuff like that with friends in real life 
and then people online and chatting in like a ventrilo server or whatever and you know having a good time and a very social experience believe it or not and you know so it's like i don't know why to draw lines and stuff so it's just another tool in a toolbox right and so you could do why can't you do because i mean in a thousand years we're going to have these things that are probably we'll probably still have board games and things you can touch because people still like want to touch stuff and people are still going to want to paint their minis and like feel cubes in their hands and things like that so uh, as long as the game is doing what it's supposed to do and the person the designer behind it has thought about it in a good way and there's and they're trying to you know play on your senses in different ways it doesn't matter if there's an app or, or not um whatever i mean if you don't like an app then that's it you don't like the app and some people don't like touching cubes i don't know people don't like looking at miniatures like i don't know what's wrong with anybody but they don't like doing certain things so there's just like a there's like a predilection to, to certain things like you know i don't like the taste of uh strawberries dipped in hot butter i don't know i never had that but you know what i'm saying so it's like it's a it's a sen it's a sensory thing uh that i think a lot of times with this stuff so to me it doesn't matter as long as the app does a good job and like i said don't like descent and pearl assault but i liked Mansions of Man second edition. So there you go. Good question though. Uh, then the next question here is, oh, what are some older loved games that I still haven't had a chance to try? So older games that I've heard about and people, you know, uh, praise about and go on about, but I haven't had to try, but I'd like to try. So I got a small list here. Uh, the first one is Chaos in the Old World, because every time I bring up Blood Rage or any of those kind of games like Rising Sun, everybody says you got to play Chaos in the Old World, and other people tell me, no, you can ignore it. But I'd like to play it, just to see for myself. Uh, Democker, which is actually getting a reprint, is came out in the 80s, and it's sort of like, uh, supposedly like the first Euro game. So I would disagree. I think some of Sid Saxon's earlier games are Euro games. But let's call it the first Euro game, Democker. It's the first very heavy Euro game, probably, for sure. Uh, Demacher is about the German elections and that election system, and there's a lot of cube pushing around and area control type stuff. Uh, and it's, it's I guess it's quite the, the brain burner, and so I'd like to give that one a try. Uh, there's two games that are sort of like war games that use a normal deck of 52 cards. And one is Maria and one is Friedrich, and uh, those look cool. I think one is a two-player game and one is a three-player game. Although I think they play other counts, but one is really meant as a two-player game, the other is a three-player game. And so you're playing these different cards with different suits and things, and the board itself has different suits. So you get a 52 deck of cards, and you can play this like war game, this area control kind of game. And I'd like to play those. And then the last one would be uh, StarCraft, the board game, which probably will never see print again. But every time I mention Forbidden Stars, there's a certain fella on <laughs> Board Game Geek, Dustin, he says, well, you got to play StarCraft first <laughs> before you can say, because he likes StarCraft, the board game, more than Forbidden Stars. And Forbidden Stars was basically built on top of that design uh, for StarCraft. And in his opinion, it, it, StarCraft is a better game. And so, sure. I like the StarCraft theme because I used to play that in college yeah, a little bit. And then, you know, and so it's cool. Does he get the Zerg and the, the Terrans and all that? So I would totally like to play that StarCraft. I guess you need the Brood War expansion. I'm not sure. I think I remember reading that. So I'd probably like to play it with that expansion. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of some games that uh, that I haven't played that are kind of older love games that still look interesting to me. Uh, the next question is, this is an interesting question. 
But uh, do you think there will ever be a good cooperative miniature skirmish game? Funny you ask that. Uh, I think all yeah all of these were asked before I did my top fifty list. So uh, the number three game on my top fifty games of all time was a game called Rangers of Shadow Deep, and that is exactly a cooperative miniature skirmish game. You can also solo it, and you just get whatever miniatures you got and set up whatever terrain, and you can play through these different scenarios and you kind of walk through a D and D campaign, um, and you know. So that's it. I mean, it's exactly what you want, and it's excellent. Like I said, it's number three on my top 50. Now, there are some... uh, There's one other game... Well, there's two other games that have uh, solo cooperative miniature skirmish. So you're setting up a tabletop with terrain and miniatures. One is the Walking Dead uh, miniature game. I should say the Walking Dead All Out War is the full name. So it's set in the Walking Dead, and you can play cooperative and stuff against zombies and things like that and different objectives. That one as well is is quite fun, and I still have that one in my collection. And then the another one I just got a copy of is the Fallout Wasteland Warfare. Uh, that one, that one, and the Walking Dead one kind of have dual purpose. They both can be competitive skirmish games, or they can be cooperative uh, games as well. I haven't had a chance to play the Fallout uh, Wasteland Warfare. I just got that last week, and so I just uh, been looking at the rules. I got a couple of games last week, so I'm kind of overwhelmed all of a sudden. But uh, that also has a cooperative mode. Uh, so I can't tell you how good that one is. But anyway, Rangers of Shadow Deep, all you got to do is go pick up the book at DriveThruRPG. And then if you got some miniatures laying around, just jump in. And I think it's great. It's excellent. Uh, oh, and if you don't have miniatures, uh, you know, if you want like a full package kind of thing, if you go to North Star uh, Figures... And then uh, they often, for Frostgrave, which is another miniature game, and then a lot of other games, and also Rangers of Shadow Deep, they'll have like a package where you can get the book. They have some of their own miniatures, whether it's plastic or metal, uh, you can get. So you have enough kind of miniatures to get started. So it's kind of like buying a box game from them. If you don't have miniatures, you can always go to North Star and, uh, and check those out as well. Another good question. Uh, next question. <laughs> this one says, is there really a Billy? So oftentimes I mention Billy this, Billy that. Um, so I would say, yes, there is a really a Billy, and no, there's not really a Billy. Uh, so I started doing this because a long time ago, years ago, I wanted to say one of my friend's names on a video, and I was like, no, because I didn't like, I was like, don't want to call them and say, you know, Billy Bob or whatever. You mind if I bring this up? Because I'm going to say, you know, my, uh, you know, my buddy Frank did this in a game. And I'm like, well, that's like a privacy thing. So, you know, I don't know. I always feel a little bit awkward about that without saying, because they didn't ask to be, first of all, they didn't ask to play games with somebody that has a YouTube channel and has to be like trying to have a critical eye on every damn thing. Uh, Not that I always do that. Sometimes I turn my brain off, which is good. But... (laughs) You know, so I didn't want to be like, well, now I'm drugging. You know, who's this jerk, Billy? You know, <laughs> like he keeps doing. So I just basically Billy is everyone and no one. Uh, so and then just because sometimes I need more than one name, I started saying Billy and Francesca, and then Frankie and all that stuff, and Doreen, whatever. And then so that's Billy. Billy's nobody. And then now it's become a joke because my group actually made me a shirt that says uh, my imaginary friend Billy. And stuff like that. And so, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's who Billy is. Billy's no one. 
uh, and Billy is everyone. All right. So next question. Just got a few more. Uh, it says, how many times do you play a game before you record a review? Well, in terms of, if you're talking about the podcast, which you're listening to now, at least once, obviously. Uh, but if I get kind of turned off, then I'm not going to try to play it again. Uh, if I'm going to do a video of it, I usually play it at least twice. And I usually say in the video how many times I've played it and what player counts and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I don't think I do it every single time, but usually I give you a sense. If I played it twice or if I played it, you know, four or five times, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, but yeah, I usually try to play it at least twice. And again, I also try to mention player counts and how many times I've played it, different player counts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think, you know, at least twice. I mean, if I'm going to review a game, I got to, you got to play it once at least, but then you kind of want to play it again just to kind of, kind of make sure, check in with it and see how it's going. Um, I don't think there's actually a magical number to to do that. Because you can kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird topic. Because like, should you play every game 10 times before you review it? You probably should. In a, in a certain way, certain sense, you probably should play a game like 10 times. But I don't know how, I don't know. That's a long conversation that like my brain is tired of uh, a little bit. But I, you just play a game enough times until you know that you can say a thing about it. Because like, okay, so if I make a review, I'm saying a thing. And granted, it's a little bit different than you talking to a friend. But like how many times is does anybody get to play a game before they can say anything about it? So as long as you're clear about how many times you played and the player count you've played at and stuff like that. Because the player count is pretty important. Because uh, a game, like I said, with... Uh, you know, not so much, but with uh, Jonathan Strange there a few minutes ago, player count does matter, you know, and I talked a lot about player count uh, during my top 50 series, because that it certainly matters. Like, Kalos is my number two game of all time. Used to be my number one. And, like, if you wanted to play that two-player with me, well, I mean, if you're nice about it, maybe I would, but, like, I really wouldn't want to, you know what I mean? Like, I would be like, eh, can we find somebody else? Can we play a different game with two-player? Because I don't like that game two-player. But I love, freaking love it you know, three and four player and five I'd still like. But two player, I'm like, ugh, that game is ter terrible for two player. So play the amount of plays is, is true, but also trying to play at different player counts is important. All right, that's a good question though. So, let's see. Doo -doo -doo. Also, have you reviewed every game you have played? If not, about what percent and why? Well, that's kind of one of the reasons I started doing the podcast because I play a lot more games than I can get to doing a review of, uh, just because you got certain you know hours in the evening and the week to sit down and you know record a video and then edit the video and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I don't know what the percentage is. I I think it's a decent percentage. I think I've reviewed more than fifty percent of the games I played. Maybe I don't know. I didn't I didn't calculate the percentage. So sorry. I, a little bit unprepared for answering that question now. But no, I mean, you know, I play a lot of games that other people own, which is a lot of what was happening in this this month's podcast. And so sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll ask to borrow a game, but sometimes I'm like, ah, whatever. I got enough games at home to review. I don't need to borrow that and review it. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I try to. You know, if I'm super excited about it, like I said, I'll, I'll say, can I borrow that? I want to review that, you know. Uh, but not not that much. Um, but yeah, so games that I have, I don't think, okay, so here's the thing. The games I've played, yes, but have I reviewed every game that I own? Quick second. 
Well, I just checked, and that's a no, but I'd say I reviewed a, probably more than 90% of the games that I actually own. There's a couple of games that are super old. Like, I didn't review Kalis forever, because when I started reviewing, I was kind of going and looking for review, uh, doing videos of games that didn't have videos about them, let alone a review, just any video. So I was kind of going through and like, why does this have a video? So I would do a video on it. And then, you know, so that's how I kind of got started because I liked watching the videos and I'm like, Samurai doesn't have a video about it. That's insane. This game is great. And stuff like that. Or sometimes they had like really old videos and stuff or, you know, I think Tigers and Euphrates, I think the only video it had was like a five part hour long thing. And I was like, holy cow, <laughs> like nobody's, nobody's going to watch that. Well, a lot of people won't watch that video series and then want to play it after, even though it's a very well in depth thing. It's really old. Uh, but Anyway, so that's how I started. So I kind of started just going through the collection and, and doing things. But like Kalis, I was like, oh, there was already like a couple of really good videos on Kalis. So at the time I was like, oh, I don't need to do a video of this. What am I going to say? Um, but yeah, so but most of the games I own, I've reviewed. So I got this question uh, kind of in two shapes. So I kind of uh, formed the or, 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 or Voltron the question together. So I'll kind of read this here. Gaming room essentials and how to take care of your board games. I've been dealing with serious human weather recently and my games uh, started to warp. And then another one about like other little kind of game, like essential gaming accessories and stuff. So I would say you don't want to store your games outside, like in a garage. That would be terrible for it or even in like an uninsulated like uh, shed or shack. A lot of people have like, a, you know, like an extra room or whatever, a shed in the yard. I wouldn't store them there because you're going to get problems. Uh, but if you're having problems with humidity in the house, I would get a dehumidifier, possibly. I don't know if that will help. I, I think it might. Uh, we have we have, a, we have a humidifier here where I live because uh, it gets really damn dry here in the winter, especially with like the heater running and stuff. And, uh, and so I would look into getting a dehumidifier. You can get them from like 30 to 50 bucks, I think. I'm not sure if the humidifiers are cheaper than a dehumidifier. I think they're about the same. Uh, but I would get that and then have it in your game room or wherever you store uh, your stuff, though. Um, but definitely, if you're storing them outside, then don't. But keep them inside somewhere in a closet or something so it keeps an even temperature. And, uh, you know, if you get some kind of temperature control in your house, because I know not everybody, depending where you live, like I grew up in California, we never had air conditioner and stuff. Uh, I've got relatives in Florida and every friggin' house there has air conditioner because it's a different story there. Uh, so yeah, so just, you know, I would try to research that. Maybe ask on Board Game Geek or something because that's kind of outside my area of expertise. So that's as far as taking care of it. Now, the couple other, this question was a little bit more involved. So I'd say like necess necessary gaming accessories. Uh, the big one for me is get some shelf space and then cut your collection off at a certain point. And so the nice thing for me is uh, my oldest son moved out a few years ago now. And so what I was able to do is move up into his old room. I've got two shelves. The gaming collection doesn't grow bigger than that. So I've got the two shelves there. I've got one shelf that you can't see on the videos and camera. That's got, got a bunch of mini stuff. And then I have the one like little closet space. It's, it's sort of a clothing closet kind of thing. And so I just have a little room in there and they have like a bunch of miniature terrain and stuff in there. So when the collection gets bigger than that uh, you know, specified space, then I start get ridding, getting rid of stuff. 
and so one thing I've seen a lot of people, and I got into this, you know, years ago too, where it was like, okay, I've got this shelf now where I put this other stuff because it's more than the shelf. Okay, now I've got this little pile and now where I put this other stuff. So what you got to do, I think, it's been helpful for me, is like define your space, define the amount of storage space you're going to allot to this gaming thing, and then cut it the frick off at the knees if it gets any bigger. Because then you got a problem, you've got games all over every damn room of the house. And I've seen this before, like... You go into somebody's house and like, do you, would you like a house with your board games? You know? And so if, if people want to live like that, that's okay. I'm not trying to make a judgment call, but if you don't, if it's causing stress and a problem for you and your family, whoever you live with, then circle, circle, circle back, figure out your allotted space and then dump the crap out of games. Don't be sentimental. Just burn them. And no, don't burn them. That's a waste, but get rid of them, sell them, trade them, you know, one game comes in, two go out, that kind of thing. I'm not talking like Mary Kondo, like Zen thing. That's fine if people want to do that. But I think just whatever, define your space and then limit it. And then you really will cut games out that are fine and they're good and they're great, but they're not your top 50, right? So that's another good reason to make a top 50 or top 100. Just figure out what the heck you really like and what you what you really burn in your belly to get to the table and get rid of this other stuff. It's fine. They're good games. You're getting rid of good games, but you don't you don't have like a Steam Cloud account where you can upload your game and then pull it down as you want hard disk space. You know, it's a little different. So you just got to be a little bit uh, brutal about it, I think. Uh, as far as table space, the next part of the question, um, I don't know. I think uh, it depends on the games that you want to play. Like if you have if you want to play miniature games on a six foot by four foot table, that's one thing. You know, if you live in an apartment, then you're probably not going to have room for that. You can get a game topper and you can break that down. You can go to the hardware store and get some large pieces of MDF. That's what my table is here in the room. It's a Costco folding table with a game topper on top of it. And then when I want to play a miniature game, I put the um, the the MDF on top of it. So I got three slabs of MDF for six foot by four foot. And the nice thing about that is all that can break down. Uh, so I can put all those pieces in the corner and if we want to have a blow up mattress in here and have a guest stay over, I mean, we have two other rooms. Well, not two other rooms, another bedroom and then this room. And then, you know, but if we need like extra room, we can throw the mattress here and just put the stuff in the closet in the corner. So it's easy to break down. And I still have a six foot by four foot gaming space in this little room. So, you know, that's kind of a neat thing. So you got to think a little bit about that. You can have a kitchen table. That's probably fine. That's just going to be dictated by your, you know, whatever your living arrangement is. And the only other necessary things I always go to like uh, the dollar store or Walmart or whatever and get sandwich bags and because you want to have those for your your gaming things and the other nice thing is to have uh, uh, space for or, or, or uh, little dishes maybe like little tiny you can go to the dollar store and get little dishes and so that's good to put like different colored cubes in and different kinds of denominations of money and things that's something we we always like to have around uh, but you don't really need any of these other gaming accessories some plastic bags because you get new games for new stuff they don't always come in plastic bags and then little dishes or something to throw on the table and that's it all right that's kind of the gaming room gaming essentials dual question um the next one is sort of a an essential thing it's more about painting miniatures um i will put a link to this in the bottom of the video i did a video on the reaper learn to paint kit that's like that's if you want like a one-stop shop i want to learn to paint then there's a lot of resources you can you can get out to 
but I would say get that first. You can go and get that at Amazon's like 30 bucks, 35 bucks maybe. Comes with a few miniatures, it gets paint and brushes and things. You don't have to prime them because they're Reaper bones. They're all like pre, they're not primed, but they don't need primer. And then it will have like a little step-by-step walkthrough and you just, you paint a little bit on the skeleton. You, you, it tells you how to make a little wash with some extra water, da da da. And then you go, and those miniatures are miniatures you don't care about. So if you ruin them and you, you don't hate, you hate painting, you're out 30 bucks, but you haven't ruined a board game or anything like that. Like I said, that's going to come with uh, uh, paint for the miniatures you got, but you'll have, you get plenty of paint to use afterwards. And then I would also look at like uh, the Games Workshop brush set or even just like a cheap brush set at Michael's or, or a store like that. Those are even cheaper than the GW one. The GW one's nice because you get like little dry brushes and different style brushes and stuff. It's not too expensive. Uh, and then you can get starter sets. Like if you go to the Vallejo site or the Games Workshop site and you get like a little starter box of paint from them or from Vallejo or a starter box of the shades, that's important. To me, I would get one of those Vallejo or Games Workshop starter paints or the, and then definitely get the, the Games Workshop shades. However, this question was asked before the announcement of the new contrast paints, of which I have some, and I'm about to, like literally, it just came. Uh, so I'm about to dive into those. So take a look at those. Like, I wouldn't say go buy a bunch of contrast paints that are new from Games Workshop right away. Like, let some of the folks that have experience painting with them, uh, you know, get some use out of them because they do a lot of really cool stuff. But like not every color I think is going to be magic in a bottle. I think it's going to be some variant. So just to uh, alleviate some heartache for yourself, I would say let's get let the information start to get out there about that. And I don't think there's like a, a basic set of contrasts that you can get yet because that would be really nice if they had like a just a basic set of like, you know, you get these 10 contrast paints and that's enough to paint like, you know, a good, you know, few dozen different kinds of miniatures. And you can just get that, get their brush set, and then your way you're going. Because the contrast paints looks like that's an absolute no-brainer in, you know, probably 80% of the cases is just, if you're learning how to paint, you know, get this little small set of contrast paints and go to town. Um, that's with some caveats, but like I said, I haven't used them myself. I think at the very least, the contrast paints are going to be a good way to get your base coats down and then go and touch up things because there's a couple of caveats i don't want to spend the rest of this podcast talking about contrast paints from what i've seen they do a lot awesome and there's a couple things they don't do very well at all that you'll probably have to touch up with some like kind of let's call it regular paint other paint uh but i want to play with that a bit more so i know what the heck i'm talking about and i want to see other you know people that are more like professional painters use it as well so, but anyway, uh, I would get the learn to learn to paint Reaper kit, and then you know get a set of brushes at Michaels if you're learning, and just use the ones out of there. Get the Games Workshop brush set, maybe a basic Games Workshop or Vallejo paint set, the the Games Workshop uh, shade set. They get that for sure because that's going to be good no matter what. Uh, as far as primers go, again with the contrast, they have some new primers, which I think those primers are actually going to work really well even without contrast. That's something I want to play with as well. Because uh, the the new uh, it's not it's it's like wraith bone or something it's like a kind of an off white. I've always been like on a quest to find a great white primer. What I typically do is is prime black with a cheap Krylon like four bucks a bottle thing, and then dust it from the top with different whites. 
to varying degrees of success. Uh, but this looks like a really good white, but it's like 19 bucks for it. But if it's really good, you know, me, I don't care. I'll pay that. Uh, so, but I'll also put a link to a primer video because a primer is like the start and could be the start and end of your painting experience. Because uh, you can you can dork up a miniature pretty bad with uh, the wrong primer and stuff. So you got to be very careful about that. That's the only thing you really have to worry about with painting is the primer. The very first thing you do to it after you build the miniature or not is you prime it with something. And if you screw that up, you can like ruin the detail in the miniature and all that kind of stuff. So I'll put a link to a good primer video. It's not anything to be afraid of. You just got to just know know that you know you know what's going on. <laughs> Once you do that, you spray it. No big deal. The way you're going. As far as like, oh, I'm going to screw it up when I paint it. Like, just paint over it. It's acrylic. So you can just like, I don't like that. I'm going to put a little bit of gray on top of it again and paint back over it or whatever. It's fine. Who cares? <laughs> You're not going to mess it up. But the primer, you can mess it up. So we got two more questions. And these have nothing to do with gaming. <laughs> so I saved them to the end. I got these. I got multiple sort of questions and responses to the stuff going on in the last month's uh, podcast. And the first one that a lot of people kind of took exception with uh, me harping on using the word Ameritrash versus some other word or Amerithrash or thematic or something. And uh, so I just want to reiterate my goal is not to offend people. Like when I, when I use the word trash, I don't mean that in a negative way like white trash or something. Like I'm not trying to say like that kind of connotation with trash. Um... I think when I think of trashy novels, like trashy sci-fi, trashy fantasy, that's what I'm thinking of. Like Lovecraft to me is trashy. Um, I don't think that necessarily means it's a negative thing. It's just like not. It's not a real thing. It's pulpy and 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 just ridiculous. Like it's just a ridiculous thing. Um, and so like things of not of this universe and that are just like these funky archetypes, you know. Greek mythology is trashy, you know, to me. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what I'm trying to say is the, the trash novel, the pulp novel, that's a term. I mean, that's been around before board gaming came up with Ameritrash. You had the trash novel. And I love reading lots of science fiction and fantasy, but in a lot of ways, even like Game of Thrones and Dune, which I love are trash novels. I'm not saying they suck. I'm not saying they don't have value, but they're in a trash spectrum of things. So anyway, I don't want to talk anymore about that, but I got like yeah, from a few people, but most people I think get it. And frankly, in all my video reviews and stuff, when I say something's a mare trash, I can count on less than one hand the times somebody said, you shouldn't say that word. You know, it's only when I bring it up to talk about the use of the word that, you know, we got people fired up about it. But if I say it in, like I've been saying in public conversation, I don't think I've ever been corrected. You shouldn't say a mare trash. I don't know what I would do if somebody said that to me. But I would be like, okay, I'm not playing games with you. <laughs> anyway, so I'm trying to be nice. That's okay. It's just, it's just a, I don't know. I like, to me, it's more applicable. It makes more sense. So that's that thing. And then a very astute question on this last one here. Uh, last month I was talking about, I don't think Game of Thrones had ended. No, it had not ended last month when I recorded the podcast. And so I was making a little bit of a, uh, an analogy about sort of the uh, like why people watch certain TV shows or why they play certain games and that kind of stuff. I even forget what my point was. But one person brought up a thing, and I was like, very, I was like, you're right. 
So he said he thought that I was kind of raising a straw man. So we're going to get into Game of Thrones spoilers. So there's not going to be nothing else after this question. So turn off the podcast if you haven't finished the show. It's been several weeks since the show's been over. Uh, uh, but he said, well, you're kind of raising a straw man. Because my point that I was making in the thing was a lot of people, I saw a bunch of articles after the fight with the Night King and the, and the undead. They were like talking about the battle tactics and, you know, the Dothraki should have flanked from here and did this and that. And I'm like, what? Why are you watching the show? <laughs> like, have you not watched Game of Thrones? Like, the battles are not, like, super realistic. And a lot of times they just cut them out and they'll, like, fade to black and fade back. And then as they got money. Anyway, so that's fine. Like, like, like it can be kind of fun. So looked at through a fun prism, you know, talking about battle tactics on anything. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes and just talk about space battles. <laughs> like, and how unrealistic every single space battle ever, except for maybe The Expanse has been you know it just they don't hold up to about five seconds of analysis or anything science fiction i mean anything like that's what i'm talking about let's just call it trash let's call it what it is like it's fake like it's just it's bull um anyway so but he did say that i was raising up a straw man just to say that anybody that was talking about the battle tactics or didn't like it or, or took him out of their uh suspension of disbelief you know wasn't also interested in the character development as a part of the show. And I'm like, yeah, 100%, you're right. I was just kind of raising, just to be clear, I was raising that as an example of just two ways that you could look at a thing. Like, I can totally see, like, some people didn't like the the way Daenerys' character turned out. And not be, and that's that, that's probably a little bit more concrete of a thing, is like, you know, they didn't like the suddenness, supposedly, of how she she turned and all this versus, you know, that kind of stuff. And so two people can look at it very differently. Um, you know, I'll use an example. My wife called it, like in season two or something. She says, I don't like this. I'm like, use the exact word. She's like, I don't like, I don't like this lady. <laughs> she said, she, she, she's not going to be any good for anybody down the road when those dragons get big. And I was like, no, no, she's fine. She's like, you know, she's she's coming around. And then, but no, you know, <laughs> I apparently my wife could see through <laughs> the hairs like in about three seconds. So, I mean, I could see it coming. I would say, uh, I mean, if I really am honest with myself, I could see it coming season four, but definitely season seven, you can see, whoa, you know, this chick, you know, like she does not have any patience. So anyway, um, but yeah, that's probably, a, that's, I would say I would agree with you there because you could look at people, two different people can have two same look at like people that say her turn was too drastic and didn't make sense. I'm like, Okay, I get it. For me, it worked, um, but for you, it didn't. Okay, that's fine. But then, if you're like talking about battle tactics and stuff, to me, it's like, well, okay, the battle tactics is a little bit dumb, but that's not the show. Like, I'm watching the show for Arya and the Hound, and you know this and that, and for John, and you know what he, you know, I was like, John, you know, John's ending. I love that ending. I loved Arya's ending. I love the Hound's ending. I liked Bran's ending. You know, granted. The book, I'm sure, will have a way more political gnashing and and stuff like that. But frankly, like you know, for me, I was like, yeah, that could have been fleshed out more. But then, what we got a season of that? Like, oof, I don't know if I could watch that. Maybe I could. It could be good. It could be good. But and I was trying to make a point of like why, yeah, you know, people like to watch a show. Um, and that to me, the the point I wanted to kind of circle back here is as sort of similar to what I said at the end of my top 50 video 
where your environment is really going to inform uh, how you watch a show. And so this kind of came up because I was sharing some videos with my friends. Uh, yeah, we got a little private chat there in our Facebook and I was like, look at these people going crazy. So when Arya kills the Night King, I warned you, spoilers, uh, there's a video of these folks in Brazil that go absolutely nuts. And it's like they're watching a soccer match, you know, to be stereotypically Brazilian. But, you know, it, they're going absolutely bananas. They're watching some sporting event. Maybe you turn around and see them. No, they're watching Arya kill. And they were like losing it. And there's other videos of people like in bars and stuff and, and going crazy. And they all go to a bar and watch Game of Thrones. And we were like, I would never do that. And I'm like, I would absolutely never do that <laughs> because a um, long time ago when The Sopranos was on, another HBO show, for about mm, half a season, I'd watched it. And then I found out some of my friends, they were like, hey, you should come over on Sunday. We all watch Sopranos. I'm like, oh, that sounds really fun. You know, I hated it because people wouldn't stop talking. You'd be like, what did this person say? There was a, was there a joke there? And I'm like, that's cool. Like, but I'm cool to hang out. But like, I'm not even going to pay attention to the show now because I'm not going to get it. And I'm like, why would these people go to a bar? But they loved it. They were all cheering and going crazy. And for me, uh, Game of Thrones is something that I like to sit basically alone my wife stopped watching season five it doesn't matter she didn't she stopped liking it season four season five so but we used to watch it together we used to love watching it together i mean we watch a lot of tv shows together and so that's a nice like intimate thing you know a lot of couples do that and uh but lately last few seasons you know i like to watch game of thrones alone and just be alone with it my brain kind of fills in those gaps you know because there, there's a lot of time leaps and things so personally like I'm not sitting that sitting around watching the show with a lot of people that are complaining every five seconds about, well, oh, this is dumb, you know, dumb about this. Like, I don't want to watch things like that. So, you know, like I will watch a lot of media that will objectively be like not the best film school application, but it'll be like a little silly, like Walking Dead or this new Swamp Thing show that's come out that's been canceled already. I watched the first two episodes and I'm like, okay, so I know a TV critic would pick this moment apart and this moment apart, but I don't care about this. I'm watching it for this other reason. I'm watching it for this character. I really like the Swamp Thing, this and that. So I think my point was is people can watch these things and play games too, which I talk more, probably better detail about in my top 50 video, you know, for different reasons. And so that was the only kind of point I was making. So I got sort of called out about that on different things. Uh, and the one thing I want to kind of use as a thing is, you know, everybody's like favorite moment from the early, early part of Game of Thrones was when Ned gets his head chopped off. And and, and for me, too, is is dramatic and changing. But if you go back and like analyze that, like Ned's an idiot. <laughs> like he should not have like let that happen. Uh, so you can really pick apart stuff if you spend too much time sort of picking apart plot devices and things and not just realizing that they're sort of betraying a certain level of humanity uh, in different ways too. So that's something I like, I've tried to sort of like get my brain to do and not worry about how fast an X-Wing is compared to a TIE fighter. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. It's fun. Like I don't want to take the fun away from people that, that talk about that because it's kind of interesting. Like a lot of people are really into like Star Trek tech and how that could apply to the real world and stuff. And that's neat. Like I used to be, you know, into that. Not really, but I mean, I was. It was like I'd have a conversation about it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, no, I, I care about Kirk's relationship with his dad. You know, like, and maybe I'm just like old. I don't know. <laughs> that was my general meandering point.
Alrighty. So that's the Q&A. That's all those questions. Appreciate everybody asking, and uh, hopefully you appreciate the answers. Uh, have a good uh, good rest of your month. Origins is happening now as I'm releasing this. Uh, and so hopefully folks at Origins have a good time. And uh, there you go. So thank you. I appreciate it. Bye.